This is CliffCentral.com. Where has masculinity gone wrong? We got together with Gareth Cliff to discuss the gift of masculinity and how men and women are equal but stunningly different. Hi, I'm Craig Wilkinson, and very happy to welcome you to our first in a series of podcasts around masculinity, manhood, and everything to do with men. Carling Black Label is a proud sponsor of Man to Man Talks with myself and Khalil Osiris. Join us in standing up and saying no to woman abuse because enough is enough. Champions take action. They often say that men are less complicated than women, but I think that's probably not true. A, we're going to talk about what drives men, why men behave the way they do, why we do the things we do, why we think, say, act. And I think it's going to be a revelation for a lot of women and also deep insight for a lot of guys. Very happy to have in studio today Gareth Cliff, uh, who needs no introduction. And uh, I'll be hosting this, this show together with my partner, Khalil Osiris. A bit of background about myself. I've written a couple of books about fatherhood. Fatherhood's uh, an absolute passion of mine. I was a single dad for many years. And in the process of doing that, just began to realize how utterly important men are, but how utterly destructive men can be. And so we need to look at that, uh, the issue of what, what it is that drives men. Khalil's a great friend of mine. Uh, I'll, I'll just hand you over to him. He's, he's hails from the USA. Uh, we've become a great friends and partners. He's written a couple of books, and uh, uh, he'll tell a bit about himself. Good morning. Uh, Craig, thanks so much for having me here. First of all, I'd like to say that I think this topic couldn't be more timely. I mean, in the U.S., the hashtag MeToo and hashtag uh, Time's Up movement uh, is really taking the country by storm. If anywhere you look, anywhere you are reading papers about what's going on in the U.S., you can see that a lot of very high-profile individuals have been swept up in this movement for right. just horrific uh, behavior on the part of men. Uh, most recently, Bill Cosby. Mm -hmm. I mean... We called him uh, America's dad and the world's dad. Just an incredible story. I, 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 no one would have ever predicted uh, Bill Cosby to have been participating in the kind of behavior that uh, he was charged with and convicted, I'd like yeah. to say, uh, recently. So uh, I think this topic is timely. Um, I can't wait for us to get into it more fully. Mm. And uh, I'm really excited to be on uh, on this show with you talking about an issue so important to men, young boys, and society. Fantastic. It's, it's, it's very pertinent. I mean, I want to hand over to Gareth, but I mean, Gareth, in your decades of... of Let's just uh, point out that but, you, you weren't, no one held a gun to your head that you had to have me on your first show. I'm, <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty thrilled to be a part of it, though. I've known Craig for a long time. And Craig, I know one thing, I know a lot of things about you, but the one thing that absolutely anybody who, who does know you knows for sure, is that this is something that you are extraordinarily passionate about. You've written books. Yeah. Um, you, you've, you, you go all over the world telling stories, hearing other men's stories. You're trying to build, particularly in South Africa, which I think is, is a massively instructive thing. You're trying to build a, a, a level of male accountability for maleness. Uh, there's a huge amount of strength and power in masculinity, as you've already indicated, and I, I'm sure that Khalil will also back this up. But it's often misused and misplaced, and when men don't have good male role models, they tend to become monsters. Um, and there's nothing that can replace that. God bless all the single moms who are, who are out there working their backsides Absolutely. off, because that cannot be easy. But if you don't have a strong male role model in your life, you will... As a man, grow up role modeling and, and, and projecting yourself into sometimes very toxic ideas of what masculinity is. And it, it, it can lead to the destruction of families. It can lead to violence. It can lead to Bill Cosby's. Uh, God forbid if you're a guy growing up in the world today, you don't have the right kind of, of male role models right. because it's, it's like a death sentence, really. Absolutely. And there's such a lack of them. Male role models, uh, fathers who model the way. And it becomes a cycle, doesn't it? You know, so a wounded man becomes a man who wounds, who then raises a, a wounded man, who then in turn becomes a man who yeah, wounds. And the it cycle. It becomes a whole cycle. But I, I interrupted you. You actually had a question. Well, what I was going to just lead off with, and you know, it's going to be fascinating talking to Khalil. I mean, Khalil... Uh, spent uh, 20 years uh, behind bars in the USA. And and in, in my first discussion with Color when we met, there was just this real kindred spirit around. And he was talking about his first five years, and we'll talk a lot about that, but I want to ask Gareth first, uh, the first five years that you, you considered gladiator training. Mm -hmm. And we just thought, you know, the, the violence and the, the absolute viciousness was just a different level in, inside prison. Sure. And we realized that, you know, in our discussion, we said most of those men are not bad men. Most mm -hmm. of those men went wrong, made wrong calls, made wrong decisions, and are now living in a scenario 
scenario where it's just absolute, it's a parallel universe of violence and destruction, and you have to play by the rules to win. And we thought, we said to ourselves, if we could heal and harness the power of those men, that, that viciousness, that, and harness that for good in society, we can absolutely change the world. And I mean, I, that's why I started the, the organization Father and Nation a while back with the idea that if we could heal and restore men and fathers and role models, we'll heal this country, we'll heal the nation, we'll mm. heal the world by extension. But Gareth, you know, bringing it back to you, you've, you've been known as, the as, and that's what I've always respected and liked about you. you, you call it as it is, you tell it as it is, the, the, I mean, the, 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 the no holds barred. Men are really under fire. In the last decades, we've seen uh, men, uh, hashtag men are trashed, we've seen, yeah. uh, but we've also seen men in pain. So recent stats in the UK have come out, for instance, that the greatest killer of men under 50 in the United Kingdom is suicide. Mm-hmm. Men are jumping off buildings at record, you know. So men are coming under fire. So they're, they're being demonized. Right. Hashtag men are trash. And often, not without reason, but there's also this element of men not taking huge strain. Uh, the number of men committing suicide nationally, internationally is five times more men. 95% of violent crimes committed by men. Yeah. Um, there's just, there's just, yeah. What is your take? I mean, after decades of broadcast and dealing with so many different people, you, you, you have a lot to say on this, this topic. Well, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm always very nervous about anyone with a bit of a victim mentality. And I don't think this is a time and place for men to start becoming, you know, victims and feeling sorry for themselves. So the idea that men are under fire, while that is true, uh, humans have been under fire since the dawn of civilization. But, but I don't want us now as men to start feeling like uh, we're the, the ones who are at the bottom of, of the social pyramid. We're really not. Absolutely. You know, so don't, don't start that because when you go down the path of victim mentality, there's only one place it can take you, and that is down. Right. Um, the other thing that you, you hinted at here, which is very, very useful for us to, to think about and talk about and perhaps to, to debate a little bit, is this idea of, of men and, and suicide and the pressures that are put on men. You know, women are good at networking. They're good at forming support groups, structures, talking to each other. They're better communicators. 100%. Uh, society doesn't look down on a woman who's emotionally available, emotionally um, vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, but society tends to take a very hard and cruel stance against men who are perceived as being in any way weak. And that weakness might include emotional vulnerability. It might include uh, having to get together in a support group of a kind, even talking about your, your difficulties as a man. You're just expected to provide. If you're not providing, there's nobody who's going to sit around and talk Suck to it you. Up about and make it happen. Yeah. Just stop. Stop complaining and get on with it. Yeah. Your kids are hungry yeah. or your wife needs your support. It's never a question of let's talk about why you're not in the right place to be empowering yourself. Right. And then in, in society, you, you have men who really don't do themselves any favors by, by going out and either living a very selfish and hedonistic life where they're, they're chasing, whether it's power, money, sex, authority, physical Overpowering of yes, other people, much of, absolutely, you know, and and that's how I suppose a lot of guys end up in trouble. I mean, there's no. We talk about equality in society. We talk about uh, equality on 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 the playing field. We talk about equality in the in the workplace. But the one place there is no equality at, at all is in prison. I mean, men make up what eighty percent of the prison populations in any given country. Fifteen times more men than women. So we're responsible for more. This is what we've got to own. We're responsible for more violent crime than women could ever try to be responsible for. You know, there are these shows about women who kill and all the rest. It's a tiny, tiny percentage of the the total prison population. So we've got to own that. And I think there's a lot about masculinity that is misunderstood. There are massively positive aspects to it. Um, We're competitive, and that competition is the fuel for innovation. It's the fuel for civilization for technological development we wouldn't be in the world that we're in if it weren't for men competing with each other either for a woman's affections for money Mm. for power this is the fuel of of in our old hunter-gatherer days Mm. what made one man the king of the tribe and and the rest of them his followers Um, so that can be harnessed and i agree with you there are ways to make it work You, you mentioned gladiator training and i want to hear what khalil has to say about that too because when men are put in pressured situations we deal with it usually quite well we have an inbuilt instinct to prioritize right 
to figure out a, a, a solution to problems. It's not always helpful when we're talking because sometimes women just want us to listen and we're looking for solutions always. to problems, yes. right? Yeah. We're, we're more pragmatic. Mm-hmm. We're more into, into defending, protecting, mm-hmm. uh, surviving, offending where we need right. to because we use that as a tactic. So it's complicated. Nobody discusses these things though because yeah. men first of all go, ah, oh, please, what is this pussification of men Absolutely. happening over here? And women don't want to hear about it because they're like, you know, yeah. this what do is, they do with it? Yeah, this is not useful <laughs> to me. I think worse than a man crying. You don't know how to handle it. Huh? Jeez, no, I, I, I don't. If, I'm, if a friend of mine starts crying, I'm out of the room, man. <laughs> yeah, what, what, I, and I think that it's really important that um, we have a discussion that really addresses the controversial aspects of, of of this whole idea of how men are behaving poorly. I mean, horrifically. In in my own case, um, I had two great parents. Uh, had what appeared to be an, an excellent role model in my, in my father. He provided, he worked 14 hours a day. Uh, a lot of times he wasn't there and wasn't emotionally available, but uh, that was kind of normalized in, in the in community I grew up in. Uh, we expected our fathers to be away working, and um, no one really complained about that. That was actually quite a, a good thing. Uh, but in the midst of that, uh, being the type of young boy who needed the engagement, needed to to have a father who I could who I could interact with more, I found my way in other things. Like mm. most of us do, we adapt to whatever right, right. circumstances we find ourselves in. Right, but you know, in my childhood it was it, it was on the heels of the civil rights movement, and what emerged was what was called um, the Black Nationalist Movement, embodied in the Black Panther Party for Self Defense. Right, and for Kids my age, this was an exciting time. I mean, we had an opportunity to participate in something that we thought was going to change the world. And um, I was in- completely enamored of that and began to go um, to the political education classes and started taking karate lessons and history lessons. And it actually shaped, started to shape the way that I saw the world uh, dramatically different from how I had been raised. And, uh, you know, you take a young boy, um, 13, 14 years old, and you give him uh, an ideology of of challenge, of struggle, social uh, challenges, in the face of social challenges, and you ask yourself, what is going to become of this? Absent really powerful, present role models right, right. in the most positive sense, um, it's going to end badly. Yeah. I, I can just tell you that. And so uh, being a teenager, I went from being this kind of a well-assimilated kid, seemingly assimilated kid, uh, good grades, athlete, all of those wonderful things, to uh, an increasingly angry young man. And that anger uh, had its outlet in um, rebelliousness. In, uh, over a short period of time, I went from being uh, the kid who was the ideal student to the one who was uh, the the problem in the school, the problem in, uh, in the community, and ultimately that landed me uh, that crime that or rebelliousness matriculated to crime, and that crime landed me in jail. Right, right. Uh, to be seventeen years, and I was seventeen years old. And you have wow. to understand that is some age to go to well, jail. Well, th- and and think of it, it's June. It was June nineteen seventy six. God. So the same time that Soweto here in South Africa was uh, was exploding, I in America was on my way to prison to serve um, a five-year sentence. I didn't just go to prison. I ended up in maximum security. And I'll tell you this. When you're 17, you think you're a man until you meet men. And to be in an, in an environment where the example of manhood was one of bestiality, hmm. of pure predators. You either make it, you try to make a choice that you're going to survive this. You don't really know how. Um, and it's, there's a pecking order. I mean, men basically re- relate hierarchically. Mm-hmm. So when you're that young, you've got to prove yourself very early on. Never having been a really violent person. In fact, I was always the negotiator. I was known as the negotiator when I was a kid. I, could, I thought we could always talk our way through things. But in an environment where uh, that is seen as a weakness, you learn quickly mm-hmm. that um, either you're going to engage the, the game as it exists, the environment as it exists, or you're, go- you're not. I became very, very violent. In fact, I didn't know that I could be so violent until put in that environment. Right. And so... That kind of toxic 
masculinity. And that kind of violence um, was normalized in the environment. Five years later, uh, I was released from prison. I don't think it's complicated to figure out what kind of man I was by the time I was released at 22 years old. Um, it was, I was a it menace. It wasn't going to end well. It wasn't going to end well. I, I mean, I, literally, I was, I, I was a menace. I, so when, when we have these um, movements like uh, hashtag men are trash, um, um, the Me Too movement, I understand how men like myself mm-hmm. have created a need for a movement to challenge the, the beastiality and, the, and the just toxic behavior and mm-hmm. ideas of how men will uh, conduct themselves in relationships with the people they say they love right. in society with the people, God forbid, they say they don't like. Listen, these movements should put fire under, mm. under men's feet. Mm. The, we, it's like you said, uh, Gareth, this is no time for victimization. I, I, I refuse to be a victim. I made choices. Mm. Now we can say there's larger societal context, but the first point to start with for me is my own horrific choices. The things I did that are respo- made me responsible for the kind of viciousness that women suffered in my presence. Right. So I'm, I'm the first to say mm. I support uh, this challenge to, to toxic max- masculinity because I've been a toxic man. Right. If you, if you go right back to the beginning, and that's a fantastic story, and it, and it ends well. I mean, I love the fact that you went for a second time and, and things were turned around, and it was turned around through mentors that you found in prison. But if you go back to the very beginning, I mean, the first premise is, is that men and women are equal, 100%. We're human first before mm. anything else. I mean, let, let's, but we're stunningly different. And I mean, well, you, you alluded to some Equality of doesn't mean the same. Exactly. Yes. 100% you know, you right. can be equal to someone, yeah. but you are not the same as 100%. someone. Yes. And, and I think a lot of people struggle with this, maybe because we're not educated mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. We should be taught at an early age that if you're a man and you're a woman, you're applying for the same job, you should have equal opportunity. It's yeah. the same as if you're black or you're white, you're applying for the job, you yeah. should have equal opportunity. <clears throat> what you aren't is the same. Correct. Which is why. If men are taking on a uh, a building project, they're going to have some requisite physical skills that women right. do not. Yeah. It doesn't mean that men and women aren't equal. It doesn't mean that women shouldn't be able to if they want to take on those jobs. What it does mean is that the results sometimes will be different. And 100%. equality means equality of opportunity. It doesn't mean equality of outcome. That 100%. you can't control. 100%. I think a lot of people struggle with that. They do they, struggle. And I, and I they think, think that somehow that that's a statement mm-hmm. about – you know how there's structure and their powers and there are things you can't do anything about and that disempowers me and it leads to often a lot of victim mentality but to be the same is not to be equal 100% right i mean and and the drivers of a masculine heart generally are different to the drivers of the feminine heart there's obviously a continuum there's an overlap but if you look at the kind of thing that drives men to the kind of violent behavior Kalia was talking about, yeah. it doesn't happen often in women. No. But the point I really wanted to make is at birth, no no man is born a, race, a racist. No man is born a rapist. You would no, hope so. No man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, sure. Well, I think of what what's happens thereafter. I mean, if you look at every, every child's primary role model is their same gender parent. I mean, a yeah. mom can model qualities like integrity and good work to her son, but she can't model what it means to be a man. And a, a young girl looks to her mom to model what it means to be a woman. So in the absence of this, I mean, there's that amazing story from the Kruger National Park, which happened in the early 1990s, where instead of culling elephants in the Kruger Park, they relocated some elephants to the Pillensburg Park. But they didn't take big ones. They took teenage elephants because of the logistics of transporting them. A couple of years later, the male elephants that they transported came into what they call musk and started behaving very badly. They started behaving in ways that conservationists just had never seen before, charging tourists, trying to mate with rhinos. Rhinos were killed by these elephants, and conservationists were very confused and tried everything. Eventually, the only thing that worked was they went to the Kruger Park, got two Male bull elephants, fully grown, brought them back to Pillensburg. Within two weeks, the behavior had completely sorted themselves. So that metaphor for us as a society, we need the bull elephants. We need the present engaged uh, uh, men. And ideally, a man should be raised by his biological father, but it doesn't often – it doesn't have to be. It can be an uncle, a stepfather, an older male. You know, the elders of the village raising the young boy, teaching the boy – 
two two fundamental things. One is that he is enough. Who he is is okay. He's validated so that he doesn't have to spend his whole life trying to prove himself or else abdicating responsibility because he doesn't feel that he has what it takes. So so validating him. And number two, modeling for him how to use. Because Garrison and, and um, uh, Khalil, the key aspect of a, of a man man's character, it must be using your strength well. With power comes responsibility, doesn't it? So if a man has strength, physical strength, which we talked about, he has testosterone, which gives him a bit of a more of a tendency towards crazy behavior. Mm-hmm. How does he Risky, use that? Risky, aggressive. Yes. Yes. How does he use that? The key aspect, use that to serve, love, protect, provide, use that strength well. That is the absolute key. When it goes very wrong, as you saw in, in prison and in various different ways with the Harvey Weinsteins, and the, it's misuse of that power, isn't it? It's total misuse of that strength. And we need to talk really about why that happens. Yeah, I, I think that that elephant example is just so instructive too. I mean, you think about it and so much of, of what we are is animal, right? Mm. And in, in the animal kingdom, there are very traditional roles right. for male and female of the species. The males are sometimes lazy. I mean, lions, yeah. the, 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 the hunters are the females. They are also the mothers. They're also the providers. The male, you kind of look at and you go, well, what is this guy doing to earn his place? But he's in charge. He gets to eat first. He uh, he's the one who decides, you know, which women are allowed in and out, which men are allowed to stay in and out of the the, the herd, the pride. Um, and and I think that there are certain things that are uncomfortable for us to acknowledge about human society that 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 kind of have something to do with our origins as animals. And we are part of the animal family, and I think there's huge solidarity in knowing that you fit into the family of animals because there are things that we can take from that that are tremendously positive that's that's how you know we that's our ecosystem right if you don't know if you don't have anything to relate to in in the the ecosystem you're in, you may as well be an alien right. so there are things about being male that we need to be able to put on the back burner we don't need as much in a modern civilized society we don't need to be killing necessarily the way that we every generation of my family from my father going back as far as i can tell was involved in a war every single male in my family going back as far as i could tell had to put on a uniform sometimes they were fighting for things they probably didn't agree with sometimes they were fighting for someone who they probably didn't like fighting for right Uh, some of these causes look ridiculous by today's estimate religious wars national wars Wars against things that didn't matter. Some of them were tremendously important, and in their context, they're probably all important. You know, the fight against Nazis right. and and, and th- this kind of thing. But I'm lucky. I'm the first guy in my family. I'm lucky, and at the same time, there's some part of me that kind of almost <laughs> wishes I'd had a some sort of battle to fight. Ba- right? But you've chosen another battle. I mean, you 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 in in a sense, what you do is a battle. Yeah, but it's not comparable. I'm no, not no, putting my not life physical. on the line. No. You know, this is there's something about that when men sure. used to go on the hunt. You're putting your life on the line. Absolutely, and there's something thrilling and thrilling and exciting about that, and character building too. I often talk. Yeah. To, I often sorry. I, t- I talk to friends of mine about how how men communicate. And we communicate like hunters. Women communicate like gatherers. So when we communicate with each other, it's about important, salient information that will either help you to, to, to get the prey that you're looking for, to, to take down the animal that you're hunting for, or it's going to be about um, building the, the, the camaraderie in the unit so that we can achieve things as a, as, a, as a group of men. It's never really about feelings or about – um, gossip or about – and those things are important because women used to share information that way and, and you know, figure out where the dangers to the tribe were from, from the men, first of all. You needed to know which right. men were dangerous. You needed to know which men were sleeping around. You needed to know which women were dangerous. You needed to know where your kids would be safe because none of that was the man's responsibility in those days. Right. And we still communicate that way. I find that I'm, I'm rude to the friends I love the most. I call them names. We 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 don't talk like women. When no, women say, no. "I love you," I'm, I'm I want to, you know, <laughs> when when women say to each other, "You're such a good friend," men only do that when they're being sarcastic. <laughs> we talk to our actual friends like they're our enemies. We do. We never tell them, "Gee, you look good in that shirt." You know, no, we say, "You look like <laughs> shit today. What's wrong with you?" You know, but that's an expression of love, isn't it? Well, that's how men communicate. Yeah, so true. we've got to also figure out, and and thanks to huge amounts of data that we're now able to collect on human behavior thanks to all the technology around us 
We can now analyze how men and women communicate differently. And we are in some ways very, very different creatures. But the thing we have in common is that we're trying to advance our families, our, our interests, our species. We're trying to do, I think, most people wake up in the morning and try to do good. Yes. Even if it's only for them and their immediate yes. surroundings. But that, that's a good enough motivation. If you start with that, we, we're often in the right direction. Don't you agree? I, totally. I, I mean, Maya Angelou has this wonderful saying, uh, nothing human is foreign to me. And so when we look around the world and we see how people behave, number one, the first thing that comes to mind to me is that all behavior is learned. Wherever you go in the world, despite people's color, um, their ethnicity, their social and economic backgrounds, all behavior is learned. Number two, all behavior can be unlearned. The, the mere fact that it's you know that it's learned tells us that it can be unlearned. And so for me, in, in the work that I do in schools and prisons now, the main thing that I say is that when you want to change behavior, first of all, there's nothing more powerful than a personal relationship as the means by which to change or transform another human being's behavior. But that change has to do with we, we there's a four-step process that we use. We say it must be taught, the, the ideal, the optimum behavior must be taught, modeled, practiced, and reinforced. Mm-hmm. So if we're in this kind of in, engagement of changing how men behave uh, poorly, we've got to know that we've got to put ourselves on the line in order for this to happen. In other words, we've got to be willing to open ourselves up to a different kind of relationship as men. Hmm. We've, we've got to accept that much of what we've learned about masculinity is nothing more than a mask. Right. And many of us are suffocating. We're actually suffocating. And so it, it requires of us to have the courage to take the mask off, breathe, right. take in some fresh air. Let's rethink this thing. We've gotten it terribly wrong in many instances, but there's a whole lot of good underneath the dirt. And, and so much of that is we just we don't like asking for directions, do we? It's, it's so fascinating. I mean, I, I did a father and son uh, experience where we took these uh, four by four vehicles, Jeeps, and we arrived at this place in uh, north of Pretoria and we had a whole line of vehicles with father, sons and Jeeps. And it was a very complicated terrain. I mean, I looked at this thing and said, geez, how the hell am I going to do this? And there was a guy instructing you how to do it. And as he was talking to me, he said to me, Craig, you know, it's interesting. The women who come here do this better than the guys. And, of course, that offended the male sensibility in you, doesn't it? You've you, you got to be – I said to him, why? And he said, uh, "He said because they listen. He said, yeah. you know, a, guy, a woman arrives and looks at this thing and she says, I can't right. do this. And she listens to instructions. A guy arrives there and he thinks, I've got this. I don't need – you know, this guy's been doing it for 20 years, but I'm not going to listen to you because <laughs> I'm a man. I can do this. And he screws it up because he doesn't – so that whole thing of just being – and I think the suicide rate too is very much because guys do not share their, their – they're burdens, do they? They're well, ashamed of it. They well, don't they open up. It's that communication thing we were just talking about. But it's also, you know, in the Jeep example, when you, you go on this this adventure thing, um, uh, we learn by observation. We don't actually learn by listening. Right. And women are better at listening than we are, which is why the biggest complaint in any male-female relationship is you're not listening to me. Right. You haven't heard me. You hear it all the right? time. Right? And yep. it's, it's not, we're not, we're not trying to, we're not ignoring women. We just aren't capacitated in the way that they are to listen. They pick up on little subtle tone hints. They, this is how they've survived yes. because women had, they were, they were vulnerable to these aggressive, primal, um, 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 dangerous men. And if they, if they heard a little bit of, 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 of anxiety in his voice, she knew she might have to like, take a run right she might have to protect herself she might have to get her arms up men are not conditioned no. to listen. we never even that. have to think about it no and we don't pay much attention if a woman says to us i've had such a horrible day we're already thinking about how we can help solve that problem yes. if we care about it. if we don't care about it we aren't listening but if we, if we care we're like how can i make your day better instead of just going tell me about it because right. we don't that's that not is our so natural, hard it's that not it, our natural yes. inclination you know, we, we don't deal with that well. And, and there's, there's so many women who are so unhappy about this. But what we need to explain to them is that it's not because we don't care and it's not because we're not trying to listen. It's just not our prime response. Our prime response is jump to the way you Fix can it, solve it. this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and learn by watching. Right. And screwing up. 
<laughs> yeah, we love to screw up. <laughs> we do. We, we, how many men use a power tool and injure themselves and then never injure themselves again? Right, right. If they, if they've, if they just learn the theory, they still have it on. Yeah. yeah, if they just learn the theory, they're not going to do it as well. No, no. Instruction manuals are not to be read. <laughs> no, man. And and I think the the other side of this is that because the language of um, of how men are behaving badly um, is so pervasive in society right now, um, a lot of men kind of feel on the back foot, right? Because there's no acknowledgement. Of the fact that, you know, like my daughter, she's uh, p- participated in this hashtag men are trash. Now, for her, there's no contradiction whatsoever to say hashtag men are trash and to say that she loves me. Mm. When I first like read the comment in her uh, social media, I was like, I was offended. And then I I really had to sit back and ask myself, what would make my daughter... Um, participate in hashtag men are trash when I'm thinking I'm, I'm the good guy. I'm but, one of the good ones, right? It wasn't about you. Yeah, that is the point, Gareth. It wasn't about me. And this whole idea of how we personalize these narratives and, and this movement as men is probably the most crippling thing that we can do. Instead of recognizing that, as you said, women have been socialized to pick up the most nuanced aspects of what's going on in the environment in ways that men never even have to think about. Mm -hmm. I never think about how much at risk I'm uh, putting myself when I have to go out late at night and get in my car in an area that's dark. And there's a guy that maybe is three or four feet from me um, walking towards me like I just don't think about it. No. The other thing of it is my size, my physicality. The the way that I've come to think of my own masculinity is such that should he come, he's going to have more problem than I am. So <laughs> so this whole so this whole conversation as men, there's so much we have taken for granted because of male privilege. Yeah. Even the poorest male who's doing a job exercises a level of male privilege mm. that a woman could never take for granted. So, yes. I, so I do think that there's a need for us to open ourselves up to new ways of thinking about how our masculinity is impacting others, particularly the ones we love, but uh, equally important, um, how we're behaving globally right. um, as a species, as men. Right. Such a key point in this. I mean, we we talk, we're so filled with either ors, aren't we, in our society? You know, you mm-hmm. either this or you're that. Or but there's a lot of ands. So if you take mm-hmm. masculinity, true masculinity, the way it's intended to be, power there to love, serve, protect, and provide, is a beautiful, powerful, wonderful gift to society. Beautiful gift. Toxic masculinity, masculinity that's wounded or has a false concept of what it is. And you mentioned the four big lies about masculinity. Essentially, they sex, power, money, and big boys don't cry. I mean, that, that's, you know, if you've got lots of women, you're the man. If you've got power, whatever form it is, you know, political, religious, whatever, you're the man. And if you, you know, got plenty of money, you, I mean, if you, if you, if you look at true masculinity, properly used, strength well used, it's a tremendous gift to society. You talked about the advancements and the, but if it's toxic or wounded, it's a terrible curse. So it's both. Men are trash. Men are fantastic. I mean, it's 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 yeah. I I always get a little bit worried though about things like like privilege. I mean, I don't know to be anything but a man. Well, we don't. Yes, you know, we so, don't know. So I don't know that that privilege is necessarily the right term because there's a male disadvantage. We mentioned the communication thing, the nuances, those things that women have an intuition for that we don't. They don't go and call that female privilege, right. and maybe because of. Kind of postmodernism and all all of that stuff. There's this tendency to find a victim and an aggressor, right. yes. which is not always the yes. case. I mean, in most of these situations, certainly the the nonviolent ones that I'm talking about, men and women are going to have disagreements, but it's not a victim and oppressor situation. What it is is that we sometimes struggle to discuss things that are very differently observed by both sides, and a lot of that has to do with ego, which is something we're still grappling with as men because we have. We have a certain amount of ego when we're dealing with another man that's competitive, that's about right. establishing those hierarchies that matter to us as men, right? <clears throat> but with women, with, with women, I don't feel like we're hierarchical. I don't feel like we try to integrate women into our hierarchies. Maybe that's because we have a superiority complex that's just, you know, 
indirect and subtle and deep down and subconscious. Maybe that's something we need to grapple with. But I don't incorporate women into a hierarchy structure in my life. What I do is I almost treat them as a separate entity, Mm. as a different – I don't compare women with other men. And I don't compare myself with other women. I'm not threatened necessarily. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm different here. I I don't think a lot of guys are. I'm not threatened by a woman. I don't think that comes into our language very often, but ego is often a male to male thing. Very much. I've got to outperform the other guy. Right. And, and Mm. successful men Mm. sometimes are very egotistic. Very much. Very driven. And it can be both the reason for their Mm. success in some situations or at least an ingredient in it, but it can also be a huge ingredient in their downfall. Because there's no self-awareness right. with respect to women and other men that you sometimes behave in ways that you, you would never behave with someone you cared about right. because you, you're so consumed with your own power. And you know, this happens to men. History is littered with stories of men who've done dumb, self-destructive things because they were just full of power. Right. Well, it's not rational. I mean, and, but then you've got to look at the, you've got to look at the, 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 it boils down a lot to self-esteem. So, you know, for, for a man, ego is, is very linked to his self-esteem. If you grow up and you've been properly validated as a man and you know that who I am is enough, my height, my whatever, my, my intelligence, whatever, it's enough. It's good. It's been validated. I've had that sense of I am okay. I'm enough. I am the man. The, the men that, that screw up are the men who need to play the man to be the man. They don't believe they are the man. There's this whole thing of posturing and posing because there's a deep wound and the wound is I'm not enough. I have to prove it. I have to have to climb the corporate ladder. I have to have more than Gareth. I have to be stronger than, 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 than Khalil. I mean, that's, that's, that's a drivenness that's born out of woundedness and false concept of what it means. Well, Craig, that's, look, that's why I think that we need to unpack this. Like right there, Gareth said that he doesn't feel threatened by a woman in the hierarchical sense of mm. our interactions as men. Like a power play. Like yeah. a power play. Yeah. Now, and, and my whole life, that's, that's a narrative that I identify with as a man. What I'm saying is that I have been told by women that I, they do feel threatened by me, mm. that my presence as an unknown person walking towards them um, in certain situations, particularly at night or at, at times where they feel vulnerable, they do feel threatened. Mm. And I'm saying that the awareness that there is someone right. in my environment – um, even my own mother, who maybe didn't recognize me, would be struck with fear or terror with my approaching her. And this is something that I've grappled with because I'm thinking that I'm there serving to pro- and, and protecting. I think that my role should be innocuous and, and seen as helpful. And at the same time, the perception of, of, of women increasingly are telling me that it's the very opposite than uh, what I've thought. And so... Because of the experience that they've had with men in the past. Experiences they've had. But I I also think that there's something about the way women are fundamentally socialized that their sensitivity to a man's presence is is much more punctuated and and much more poignant uh, than men's impression of women and Mm. the sensitivity that we feel when a woman is present i'm more likely to look at a woman in the context of her beauty yeah or something like that her attractiveness her attractiveness something i find uh, that i'm desirous of you almost objectify we all do that's where i'm actually going with this there's this tendency that i've found in myself and i and again this is just laying my stuff bare because I think that this is the kind of conversation that we have to have as as men. And I'm not saying all men do this because I know some men who I, objectively I, I don't see them doing that. Mm. But in my own case, I want to get at the root reasons that I might be contributing okay, to this. But, but, but it might not be you. And it's, it's not just your fault in this life you're living to sort this out. We're mm. talking about millions of years of evolutionary psychology here. Men have – you read the Bible, okay? This is 5,000 years old in the Old Testament's case. There's stuff about women where they've treated as possessions. Up to 100 years ago, there was no such thing as rape. Rape was basically was taking right. another man's wife against, you know, against her interests or without her consent. But rape was kind of – most sex was rape. 
up to a hundred and something years ago. Let's just think about that for a minute, because now it is the most horrific crime, and it should be. It should be treated as that. Men taking women against their wills, completely unacceptable, but it's only been unacceptable to men for maybe a hundred, maybe two hundred years. Before that, pretty much all of it was rape. And that's something that we've got to confront. It's not something that you can sort out in one generation. And there are attitudes associated with that that have embedded themselves deep in our DNA, deep in our experience of how men behave, psychology, genetic memory, if you believe in such things, epigenetics. These are things you don't just extinguish in one or two generations. If you think about the attitude you have to women, as evolved as it may be or as primitive as it may be, it is so much better than the attitude your father might have had and your grandfather. Oh, absolutely. Even if they were good people. Right? Absolutely. Because they didn't the, – the environment, the ecosystem – and you know a lot of people, particularly philosophers and political activists today, they imagine history the way they want to imagine it without being realistic. Well, as a revisionist. It. It's yeah. not going to work yeah. because women in history had a terrible time yeah. and a lot of men did. I mean most of the – the ones that survived made us. But many died. Yeah, well, and men used to wipe each other out in fierce, gross, violent, ugly, nasty, vicious battles from which if you emerged w- with most of your limbs, you were in the top 5% of humanity. Those are the men. Those most aggressive alpha ones are the ones who bred and made us. Right. So it wasn't the weak, sensitive guys who survived and produced children. It was the strong ones. So the strongest men came from… These guys. And, and that's what we have in our genes. You don't just wipe that out in one generation. Yeah. And, and I think that's really, this is why, wow, that's, first of all, let me just say that is a powerful analysis, um, for us to reflect on because you're absolutely right. There is no way we can erase our genetic memory. No. Uh, um, there's no way that we can erase the pathways to, uh, that got us here and made us who we are in this moment. They say one in seven people in the world today is descended from Genghis Khan. Right. Yeah. Genghis Khan ravaged an entire continent, the whole of Asia and parts of Europe and parts of the subcontinent of India. I mean, this guy was a vicious warlord. They say one in seven of us are descended from him. And I guarantee you the maternal line in most of those was not consenting. She didn't go, I'd love to have sex with Genghis Khan or any of his men. Right. Uh, Let's think about that because that's the story of humanity. And if we're going to be realistic about the nurture part of it, which is behavior, which I agree with Mm -hmm. you, is totally learned. And you know what you're speaking about here. You've had experience about this. And you said there are four things which I want to go over in a minute. But if we're going to be realistic about the nurture, Mm -hmm. we equally need to be realistic about the nature, which is that the genes we have in us are the genes of the most violent Alpha males who dominated, who forced themselves into situations, who took control, who were powerful, who were aggressive. We didn't descend from gentle, kind men. Those ones were killed. But you, you've, got to, you, you've got to say by the same token, we're not – Determined, are we? You know, we, the, the whole determinist thing. That we, I mean, our behavior, we, the, the, just like people now who smoke are conscious of the fact that they're destroying their body. There, there are no excuses anymore. We, we, no. we, we have the, the understanding and the knowledge and the insight and, the, and, the, and the, you know, all of the studies. And we know. I mean, there's also the conscience of a human being. That, that kind of, you, I mean, when you take something that's not yours, you know it's wrong. I mean, even, even criminals, yep. the no, guys no. that, that yeah. shared the prison, so they, they knew that they had done wrong. I mean, Absolutely. They, they, that's it, why, it, they, it that's why they hid it. That's yeah. why they denied it. That's why they sought ways exactly. to, to get around accountability. Of, um, this is not the right – you know, a guy – when you look at rape, I mean, for me, and, and let's just go, so for me, a healthy man should be constitutionally incapable of rape. And I'll tell you why. Because to rape a woman, you need to get an erection. Yeah. To get an erection, you need to be aroused. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I could not be aroused by a fearful woman. No. A woman who doesn't, I, it, it, I would, it's like Bill Cosby I, making I could, them fall asleep. That's, I mean, how, how are you having fun it's with a, a woman sickness. who's not even conscious? It's a sickness. Or it's the a deep guy twistedness. who, who, who uh, rapes or molests a two-month-old child. You, know, you see, that's such an incredible distortion of humanity because that guy is deeply sick. What is there arousing about okay, you know? Here's the question mm. now to go back to Nature Nurture. What do you guys think mm. is mostly responsible for, and they're all very different for various reasons, but the Bill Cosby, 
the guy who rapes a two-month-old, and some man who forces himself onto a woman when it's about power, not about arousal. Well, that's exactly what, what it is. is. it nature, nurture? No, what, no, that, what do you no, think it is? It's not nature. I mean, it's not, it's not inherent in a man to behave in such abhorrent ways. It's no. not. And it's, guys, it's by the way, guys who did that in the past were just summarily killed. Completely. Because we didn't, as a society, yeah. there, is no, there is no greater distaste for anything than pedophilia Absolutely. and yes. then rape. Yeah. And then men don't want their women, their daughters, their wives, their girlfriends, right. their aunts, their uncles, their moms. Even in the penal system now, those men are... Oh, the worst thing that you could be in prison for is a sexual offense, a pedophile uh, or or a rapist. In fact, it's it's fully expected that Mm. when you come Mm. uh, to prison, you arrive for those kinds of offenses. You are going to be you're going to have to be an alpha male on steroids to survive in order to survive without some kind of uh, comparable behavior. And I mean, to a very to an extreme happening to you. I know maybe three or four guys in 20 years of prison who were able to uh, avoid directly um, the, the brunt of that. And even they oftentimes um, ended up being gang raped. So, in other words, nature can't really be a big part of that. No. no. Those kinds of things are behaviors 100%. which, which yes. Khalil already said are yeah. learned. Correct. Yes. So, can we just go back? Because I was fascinated by what you said. You've done a lot of work in this area. You're the expert. Those four things you, you mentioned about how you change behavior. Yes, T- to teach, model, practice, and reinforce. So when we are talking about uh, behavior, the first thing to understand is that we're, it's not just formal education when we're talking about this. We're, we're, it's a, there's a thing called incidental learning, a concept called incidental learning. It means that wherever you are in the world, we're constantly learning from our natural environment. And it's incidental. It's not that we're intentionally learning how to behave or that we're intentionally learning who to role model. Most of our learning happens in ways that are incidental. So I I like to say that oftentimes parents teach unintentionally and children learn unconsciously. So you have a dynamic where there's really a lack of consciousness about what's actually being learned or internalized in the family structure itself. So very often you'll have kids who grow up and you'll see it sometimes in the in a grocery store. A child four years old will cuss like a sailor. I mean, they'll just curse in ways that you, you can't imagine a child would have a, a, a vocabulary like that. And the parent gets really upset. But the truth is the child has been in an environment where that language has been normalized or at least used regularly enough that they've learned it. So did the parent teach it intentionally? No. Did the child learn it deliberately? No. What has happened is something unintentional has been learned unconsciously, and you see the manifestation of that in the behavior. So what I'm really saying that if we truly are serious about changing these, the ways in which men behave poorly or horrifically, we've got to become more intentional about what men are learning as boys and understanding that the primary teacher for boys and girls our mothers in at the start of this thing very early on the primary way that we learn i'm talking about in vitro we're learning from our mothers in the womb if we understand what science is telling us now yep. so there's learning happening even there when we are first born men are for the most part pretty much useless in that initial phase right. of yeah. of a child's uh, early learning and so um and many um, psychiatrists and people who are really thinking about how behavior is shaped are saying, give me a child to the age of three or seven and I'll give you back an adult. Yeah. So there's a tremendous amount of learning that has shaped a human being by the age of seven that we don't even really fully grasp at this stage and that we really need to be much more thoughtful about if we're saying we're going to change the way men behave. And, and the genius of being human is that we have a consciousness, a self-consciousness right. that allows us to do interventions, that allows us to come up with better ways of behaving so that we evolve and become um, much more decent human beings right. than we've ever been in our, in our history. 
But you know, so, so, no, no. so, so much of the behavior of men in later years is utterly, utterly irrational. I mean, the, the Bill Cosby's. I mean, he, he, while he was doing this, he, he must have known consciously that he could absolutely destroy his entire reputation, his family, I mean, at the back, and yet he proceeded. And so many men. I mean, a guy who just goes out and has an affair with his Harvey Weinstein. All these guys. I, mean, I, I would say all men. All men. Oh, yes. All men have this capacity. There is no perfect guy, right? No, there isn't. And, and this is something we've got to figure out because that self-destructive behavior, you know, I remember what a thing it was. A Hugh Grant went out into Sunset Boulevard and picked <laughs> up a hooker. Uh, Bill Clinton got Monica Lewinsky to yeah. blow him under the desk. Yes. Um, Donald y- Trump. Donald Trump and Stormy Daniels. I mean, do me a favor. These are not dumb people. Right? No, but we've got to ask, what is driving that behavior? If, and if, if, if it supersedes rationality, there's something at more of an emotional primal level that's well, driving it. So, I, what, I so that we've got primally, to put our finger on that. Like we, we, don't, we aren't meant to live this long. <laughs> we, we haven't evolved to live this long. So <laughs> you reach a certain age and I think you just go, well, I'm, I've got only a little bit of time left. Let me do stupid stuff. But it's also this uh, the thrill. Like men, we, we get turned on by the chase, right? Whether it's a woman, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's it's building something we want to build, whether it's going somewhere we want to go. Uh, chasing down that goal is such an important thing for men. And sometimes the distractions are the things that we really want, but but we pretend we're after something else. Right, right. I mean, for a lot of guys, their lives are, are I suppose – not satisfying in some ways. Not everybody's ticking all the boxes. There isn't a person who lives the perfect life. There just isn't. That's you right. Gotta get over that. But we tend to look at other people and we're slightly kind of jealous of this or that. Yeah. We might not be, you know, overcome with envy every day of our lives, but we look at someone like Leonardo DiCaprio on the yacht with all the girls and we think, satisfaction, huh? you know what? I've got a shit life. <laughs> hey, get, and then you yes. go out and do something dumb so that you can experience some little bit of what Leo yeah. DiCaprio is getting on the, whether it's taking drugs, whether it's sleeping with a woman you shouldn't be sleeping with, whether it's doing something risky like shooting a gun in a crowded place, whether it's, Hunting, whether it's uh, there's a drive inside. There's not destroying something. We yes. do it. We do it. We can't help it. We're just animals. And Sp- it's Spike all Milligan, men. Sorry, when it, all Sp- men. Spike Milligan said something very funny. I think he turned, when he turned sixty-five, he said, and his libido was really waning. He said, he said, you know, I can finally live now that I'm no longer chained to an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah. it was. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I'm sure you guys have stories, and every man I've ever spoken to has stories of dumb stuff we've done to try and get laid. And why, Absolutely. why do we do it? What Stay up I mean, until we, we, five in the morning, drive drunk, yeah, yeah. Uh, hang around with really climb, terrible climb people. Yeah, and it's all to impress a girl. Yeah. And the, the irony of this is <laughs> that it is all men. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's like – as as men, we have to come clean about some of this stuff. Mm. You see the one that, you know, there's always a get example of the guy who, who seems to be, it's so perfect. He's, he, he's loyal. He's this, he's all those kinds of things. And then you hear the story, the stories come out all along. He was doing these uh, horrible things that were in violation of his marriage. Right. And I mean, Matt, right. he, Matt, uh, uh, Maurer, the guy, Matt the, Lauer. Yeah. Matt Lauer. Yeah. This he was guy, doing the morning show on a TV. A rock star. Yeah, he was this clean-cut, decent dude. Everybody loved ranch. him. Everybody thought, what a good guy. I mean, you hear about these men who have double lives. They have the, the wife, and then they've got a girlfriend and a whole other family in another town. And you think, you know how much hard work it must go into to keeping those two To going? have three women? I mean, look at our president, our former president, Jacob Zuma, with all of his wives and all of his affairs and all of his children. The money, the to keep those plates spinning is a full-time job. No wonder he couldn't yeah. president properly. But we're going we're to look in forthcoming issues about what drives men. What, you know, why, what are these drivers? Of yeah. men? And they're inherent. They're in all of us. You know? I'll be listening. Yeah, well, I, I tell you, this is the kind of conversation that uh, that men ought to be having with Absolutely. each other. And And the other thing is that, um, you know, you know, we have this 16 days of activism and and all of these movements where we're saying, what's the outcome? As 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 a guy, we're asking ourselves, okay, so what happens next? And the bottom line is, if you're starting with a guy who's already 40, 30, 40, 20 mm-hmm. years old, whatever the case may be, and there's been nothing in his early life, mm-hmm. in his childhood or anything that has at least sensitized him to the fact that he ought to be thoughtful about the consequences of, of this behavior and 
just saying to him, look, man, kind of wake up. There's some serious stuff going on around you. Um, but even in the cases where the ones listen, we still see examples yeah. of horrific behavior. So yeah. I don't think this is a thing that's going to go away, as no, you no, said, no, no. Um, anytime soon. No. The question becomes, what do we do in the midst of it? Very much. You know, South Africa has the world's worst gender-based violence issue. And I think one of, one of the things we're doing wrong is... We also is, have the, uh, one of the lowest rates of, of present fathers very much a, you yeah, know, high, in, in, high, in the world. And, and I always say, and I don't mean this as a slight, I don't mean this as a cruel thing. I mean this is something that we should be very cognizant of when we're dealing with you know, social media and there's a lot of anger and young people who are frustrated. Mm-hmm. The quietest day on black Twitter in South mm-hmm. Africa is Father's Day. Right. And people, people are super sensitive on that right, day. Right. And there's a good reason for it. Yeah. And it's not something to be scoffed at. It's not something to be thrown around right. as, as, a, as a means of, of, of bludgeoning people for right. things that are not their fault. There are plenty of kids who've grown up without a father, without a male role model. And a lot of these people will turn to aggression. And a lot of them are guys, but there are some girls too who, you know, you think that hug from dad doesn't matter until oh, you don't have it. Man. Ah, that's so no, the correlation and it hurts. Yeah. And it hurts. It hurts people well into their adulthood. Absolutely. Men and women alike. Look, the, yeah, that correlation. Yeah. I mean, the, the story. Sorry. Well, I mean, no, just no, from, no, from, please. From, from a prison. I mean, uh, I know a guy who worked in Polsmore. And when he first arrived there as an NGO, he, um, it, was, it was about to be Mother's Day. And he asked the, he, the, 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 the inmates requested Mother's Day cards. So he went out mm. and got a whole lot donated and bought them in. And they all used them and sent them out to the mother. A month later, he, uh, he preempted uh, the request for Father's Day cards by getting a whole bunch of Father's Day cards. Bought them. Not a single one of them was used. Not one. So the correlation between fatherlessness and absent fathers, the lack of that hug and role body with guys in jail. You know, you look at all the great dictators. You look at Hitler, Mussolini, all of these guys. Father issues. Daddy issues. Daddy issues. All of them. Yeah. Two, two Severe two. So daddy in the, issues. Yeah. In the United States, you know, the stats are fantastic. People in correctional institutions, teenage pregnancies, dropouts, uh, anger-based rapes, all, all linked Inextricably to fatherlessness. So, I mean, this is a massive, 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 massive issue, and we're one of the worst. But you see, what I was going to say about this whole gender based violence thing and the 16 days of activism and how do we fix it? We're doing a lot to create awareness, aren't we? Hashtag men are trash, angry marches, social media rants, you know, the whole rise of the, the rabid, uh, angry feminist, which, you know, has its place. And then we're doing a lot to help the victim. We're doing a lot to counsel people who've been raped. But there's very little in between in terms of how do we understand why this is happening and stop it. I mean, that's what we need to be focusing on. Because hashtag men are trash for me, and I heard a lot of debates about this. For me, what that does is, yes, it creates awareness, and yes, awareness needs to be done. But actually what we want to do is fix the problem. Does that fix the problem? If you think about this, you, you, you corner a wounded buffalo, he's going to be worse. You, you tell someone who's bad, hey, you're bad, chances are they're going to be worse. You, you raise boys, and this is the biggest damage. You raise boys in a society where they're aspiring to manhood and they, all they hear is men are trash. How does that affect them as boys growing up? They need to know, boys growing up need to know, actually, true masculinity is a fantastic, wonderful, powerful gift to society. And here's how we're going to model that for you and how, that's how we're going to impart that to you. So we need the solution. You know, awareness is good. Helping victims is good. But how do we stop it? You know, that's, that's what we need to well, really focus I, on. I think that Gareth hit on something um, that for me uh, personally resonates in terms of uh, being absent fathers. And particularly um, in the African-American community, um, the numbers are absolutely staggering. And there's, there's no way that we can duck responsibility for uh, coming up with the solutions to 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 engage that mm-hmm. in a positive way. Uh, I remember, uh, I mean, when I talked about my 20 years in prison, what I didn't say is that uh, when I went to prison at 17, I was a teenage father. When I got out of prison five years later, I had another son. Um, and I went back to prison uh, two and a half years later at 25. So I left two sons without a father in my my own story. And I remember this, my second incarceration, um, the chaplain called me to the office and said there was a, there was an emergency call. And one of the ironies of, of, of the environment uh, in prison is that the last person you ever want to get um, a message from is the chaplain, because it almost always means someone has died or something. So you never want to hear from the chaplain. And so I went to his office and there was a call. Uh, and, um, my uh, son, one of my sons was on the line and his uh, mother 
said, you know, your your son has a couple. He needs to ask you something. So my son says, uh, "Daddy, d- Daddy, where are you? Where where are you, Daddy?" And you know, as a parent, when you, we try to redirect our our children because something might be difficult for us to address or, or just embrace, I said, "Oh, son, Daddy's away." He, um, you know. And I said, Daddy's uh, incarcerated. So I tried to use a word that maybe would spinning me. He said, No, no, where, where are you, Daddy? I said, Daddy's, Dad, Daddy's is, is incarcerated, son. So there was a silence. And he says, um, So, Daddy, when are you coming home? And I said, Well, son, I, I'm not sure when I'm coming home. And, um, I got to see the parole board. He then says, No, Daddy, what day? Wow. So I then said to him i i don't i can't tell you what day uh son and all i heard was this scream horrific scream like i like i couldn't i would never forget this scream and i could hear the phone was slammed and i could just knew he lost it at that moment and that was like a dagger in my heart and but what i what i learned is that it was a double dagger in his no son my son should never have had to ask me where am I and when am I coming home? And then be so specific as to say to me, ask me, Daddy, what day? Without me being able to answer him, because clearly it came from a place of deep need on his part. So so we as men and, and I'm speaking specifically as an African-American uh, father, um, there's a lot of um, that we that we have to bring ourselves to 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 face, hold ourselves accountable for and go back and heal those wounds. Address this challenge that's that exists in our community, because, look, the the, the consequences of not doing it, we're seeing it being played out in society. Mm-hmm. If we're just if we just take the blinders off for a second and and come clean, I, I don't at that point. Um, inequality didn't, my son didn't want to hear about inequality, social injustice and inequality. What my son didn't want to hear that I didn't have a job. My son wanted to know why I personally wasn't there. And we've got to hold ourselves accountable at some personal level for the kinds of challenges that we're seeing, because even if we say that the big driver is systemic uh, issues. I want to know where do I have power in the midst of that ecosystem to make a difference at the level that I stand as a as a father to my children. And so for me, I'm not ignoring anyone's um, indictments of the system and systemic inequality and all of that. I say, fine, let's have that discussion. But in the meantime, tell me what you personally as a father are doing to change the, the, the dynamics and break the cycle yourself in your own family with the young boys that, that are growing up around you. Because here's what happened for my, lastly, what happened for my sons was that, um, men stepped in their lives who said, we're not going to allow your father's imprisonment to be an excuse for your failure. Now that's an incredible thing. And it's that kind of truth telling that we've got to get to. Uh, specific in, com- specifically in communities that have been historically disadvantaged, communities where we know that there are horrific other social factors at play, ask the question, what can I do differently that will bring healing to this situation and transformation in the context of my own example? I, know, I mean, that's a powerful, painful story. God, the way you described that call with your kid. It doesn't just, I mean, it must still hurt you to think about it, but it, it, it hurts to hear it. Yeah. Um, because I can only imagine what, what he was going through at that stage. I mean, it's just desperation, right? He's a victim. He, I created a victim. Yeah. Right. But, but here's the thing too, is that you hinted at this and, and maybe this is a good point to leave it on. I don't know, but we talk a lot as men, but we're never getting into, you know, I don't go to the annual men's meeting and neither do you and neither do you. And we all sit around and go, okay, this is the directive, men. We're going to behave like assholes this year. It's personal and it's individual and taking your own personal responsibility and, 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 and figuring out where you have the power to make choices that can make women's, other men's, your children's lives better. That's being a man. Yeah, and, and, and you can only do that with the, the, the area that you have magisterium over. Yeah. You can't do it for all men. Yeah. So if you say men are trash, that's, that's 
I'm okay because I'm not going to take that personally. Right. It's not helpful. It's going to alienate the men who you're talking about mm. much more. Mm. But what it's going to do is it's going to create absolutely zero difference for the guys who you're not talking about. Right. Because hopefully they're already on a path to trying to make things yeah. better and to try and look after and to clean up their own lives. What I will say is that you can only do that for you. Right. That's power. Yep. Like you realize these are the borders of my power. Yeah. And inside of that, I can try to create a world that may work better, yeah. that may be more equal, that may be more fair, that may be more loving, that may be more generous, that may be less aggressive. But I can't do that for all men. No. So when you say men are trash to a guy like Khalil or to Craig or to me or whoever else, you're directing that at the wrong guys. Preaching yes. to the choir. But also, we can't get to those guys yeah. some of the time. Yeah. And I can't be – I'm not going to be responsible for them. It's not like – I'm not going to be responsible for every white person's stupidity no. or aggression or dumbness or superiority complex. Yeah. I can't do that. You can only do what you can do. Right. I can't even do it for my brother. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the power of personal work. I, I say that every choice we make is an exercise of our personal power. Mm. Every single choice. I mean, it, it really does come down to being that individual <laughs> in the context of the broader narrative of what's happening socially. I go into prisons and my mentors during my second incarceration, the average sentence for the guys who mentored me was life, life. Their minimum was life and their maximum was life, which meant they're going to die in prison. And these are men who didn't only commit horrific offenses for which to be in prison, but many of them because they came so young, had committed horrific offenses in prison. Murders, stabbings, mutilations, just the kind of, uh, I call it violence at a biblical proportion. But something happened along the way for some of these men. Some of these individuals who had been written off as worthless to society and deserving of death. And several of them looked at me and saw in me an opportunity to make a contribution that they personally would never have an opportunity to make and said, we're going to invest in you. And we want you to remember when the time comes that you are out of prison and you are able to make better choices. Remember us then do the right thing. Don't go out and repeat the stuff that got you here. Don't make the choices that we made that made that now condemns us to dying here. You have an opportunity that's so extraordinary that if you don't use it well, you will be more criminal than anything else that you've ever done. And so those men, I carry their narratives with me. I I carry the power of their uh, redemptive choices in the midst of hell. I carry that now into the light. Right. I I say that, yes, I recognize what they did, in, that got them there, but I also recognize how they changed uh, while there. Redemption is possible. That's a beautiful. Absolutely. That's a beautiful note. And I mean, perhaps that's what we can in on what Gareth has said there, is that as men we play a vitally important part in in this world. As men, we have the power to break whatever negative cycles have come before us, whatever form they might take. We can stand in the gap and say, not not now. Uh, let's let's change it. What it goes, ends with me. It ends with me. What goes bef- after me will be different to what came before me. And as a conscious man who's willing to talk and look in the mirror and do the work and not stop being a man, I think this is the key. I mean, we we do not want to feminize masculinity. We want no. masculinity to be what it is. It's a beautiful, powerful gift to humanity. But we want it to be whole, and we want the power that we have as men to be used in the correct fashion to love, build, serve, you know, uh, provide. And that's what we can do as a man in successive. Uh, um, podcast. We're going to talk about the drivers of the man. We're going to talk about what what wounds men, where it goes wrong, yeah. and why men behave the way they do, and what we need to do as men going forward. Well, I'm honoured to have been part of the first of of the series. So thank you very much, Craig. Thank you, Khalil. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful to have you. In a country where one in two women are victims of abuse, it's important that we take the time to discuss a way forward, man to man. Carling Black Label is a proud sponsor of Man to Man Talks with myself, Craig Wilkinson, and Khalil Osiris. Drink responsibly, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. This is CliffCentral.com.